Welcome to the inaugural episode of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. I am your host, Kyle Glazer, and I am very, very, very excited to introduce this new podcast series. As longtime listeners know, one of our favorite things to do here at BA is to bring on scouts, scouting directors, general managers, longtime folks in the game onto our podcast to talk about their experiences in baseball, the players they've scouted, the decisions they've made, and how their lives have been shaped by the game. With that, we've decided to create this brand new podcast series devoted to bringing on scouts, front office members, team officials, and everyone involved in helping build the teams we all know and love and root for. Every week, we're going to bring on a different scout or front office member to discuss how they got their start in the game, who their biggest influences were, share some great memories, and, and talk about some of the players they had a hand in helping bring to the big leagues. I know this is a podcast I'm very much looking forward to hosting, and we hope you enjoy listening to it too. Our very first guest today on Behind the Plate is Dodgers area scout Tom Kunis. Uh, Tom was a longtime college coach who specialized in working with pitchers, including at San Jose State, Cal Poly, and Stanford. In 2015, Tom became the Dodgers area scout for Northern California and Northern Nevada and quickly became one of the organization's top scouts. The list of players he signed include Tony Gonsolin, Mitch White, DJ Peters, Justin Brule, Brett DeGus, and most recently, Dodgers outfielder James Outman, who earlier today was named the National League Rookie of the Month for April. Tom was kind enough to join us today to talk about his wealth of experience in the game, his knowledge, his influences, his philosophies, as well as what he saw in Outman at Sacramento State and the process of making him a Dodger. We're pleased now to be joined by Dodgers area scout Tom Kunis from his home in Roseville, California. Tom, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here, Kyle. It's good to finally put a name to a face with you. Yeah, same to you as well. As, as I mentioned to uh, Tom before we started recording, I've written his name a lot in the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. Uh, he signed a lot of really good big leaguers, most prominently Tony Gonsolin. He also signed DJ Peters, Brett DeGus, Justin Brule, uh, and of course, most recently, James Outman, who we're here to talk about today. Tom, first and foremost, before we dive into your history and, and the process of scouting James, uh, earlier this morning, uh, it was announced James had won the National League Rookie of the Month for April. Uh, first and foremost, as a signing scout, when you see a guy who you signed win an award like that, and particularly James, uh, what was your reaction to seeing him be named the Rookie of the Month for April? Well, good for the whole organization, but James in particular, obviously, you know, good people. You want uh, good things to come about, um, especially in James's case, because the human is just special. So I get excited. Of course, you get you get super excited. You're happy, like. Yay. You know, the good guys won again. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dive into the process of signing James out of Sacramento State, your experience scouting him. But first, I want to ask about your history because we see area scouts. There's really multiple ways you see guys get on that path. Sometimes it's a former player and they jump into scouting after the playing career. Sometimes it's guys who come from non-traditional paths. We've seen that more and more recently, especially guys who have maybe written for websites or just come from other careers. They jump in as an area scout. Um, but another very common path is former coaches. You were a longtime college coach, started at the junior college level, uh, eventually became a top assistant at San Jose State, Cal Poly, Stanford. You had a couple different stints at San Jose State. How did you kind of get started in the game in coaching and, and move your way up the ranks? And just what were kind of your overall philosophies over really more than 30 years of coaching at the collegiate level? Yeah, so uh, you're right, 30 years. Um, 
most of that in Division One baseball. But, uh, you know, it started from, you know, I was finishing up my degree. I had a small scholarship to San Jose State, ended up transferring to Cal State East Bay. My career looked like it was going to be over. Got an opportunity to go out and uh, spend spring training with the Oakland organization, released, uh, didn't know what I was going to do, went back to school, met up with my old junior college coach at West Valley and ran into him. And uh, he asked me if I'd you know, come on board and be an assistant for him, which uh, I eventually for that $500 stipend for the year. Uh, but I thought, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to kind of figure out what my life's going to look like uh, from here. If I want to move forward with this, it's something that interests me. And the next thing you know, I'm, you know, 30 years into it. And now uh, I and I do work the player development side with with the Dodgers, too. So so I keep my hand in coaching. Yeah, absolutely. The, the coaching bug never really leaves. I've noticed that with a couple guys who have made that transition from from coaching into scouting. So you started at, you know, your alma mater, junior college, and you were known really quickly as as a really good coach of pitchers in particular. What were some of the things and the lessons you tried to impart as you really ascended the ranks as as a pitching coach? Right. So I was a two-way guy, a middle infielder, shortstop, um, not very good, uh, was a back, <laughs> going to be a backup, couldn't hit. So it was a natural, like, migration. Um, funny story, just really quick. I was, uh, we were playing in like a late fall game at West Valley. We ran out of pitching. Coach go, you know, hey, raise your hand. I'm at shortstop, by the way. I'm getting the last lick innings, you know. And he goes, we're out of pitching, you know, so anybody here can pitch a little bit. And I go, well, you know, I did a little bit in high school. I can throw strikes, you know. So I, I do that. I punch two of three. He points as I'm coming off the field, your new position coach is over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave Wright, who was fantastic. And if I didn't have him, this thing would have gone nowhere. But uh, Dave Wright played, played with the Yankee organization. But that – Having that ability to see the baseball from the different perspective of hitting and, you know, how you sit behind a pitcher and go, come on, man, throw the ball over. Let's go. Let's play some defense. You know, it, yeah. it was that was, you know, very important, instrumental in my ability to just throw the ball over the plate. But I had to learn to pitch and eventually got pretty decent at it. Uh, not great, but pretty decent at it enough to earn a scholarship. So that lesson in and of itself was like, you know, it was fresh. I, I was fresh in my brain. How did I transition? How did I feel? Those people elements that are required to kind of get to a player, get to a pitcher, like, hey, I went through that. I, I know what that feels like. Hey, why don't you try this? And so, uh, and then with my kinesiology background, I started marrying, you know, some of the mechanical thing, biomechanical things with, you know, just gut level and, uh, you know, experiential uh, information to kind of come up with some pretty good ideas for guys when they got into ruts and uh, the people skill, you know, that's critical to the coaching aspect, but being able to link that to some of the biomechanical pieces. Now you might be able to move some people along. And I was very, very fortunate. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that using kind of your kinesiology background, biomechanical knowledge and putting that into you know, practice with the pitchers you were working with. I feel like a lot of people think of that as a, as a new development. Oh, we're only doing it here these last five, 10 years with all this technology. You're talking about doing it in the 1980s at a junior college. That's right. No, exactly. Yeah, it's, 
now it's just a little, it's way more rabbit hole-ish. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can do deep dives that are crazy, but, but ultimately, you know, you're, you're, it's movement patterns, right? It's, you know, here's the one thing that will never change is, is the people thing, right? The people skills, being able to relate, to be able to teach. If you can teach, and that is people skills, uh, and have knowledge, have base knowledge, foundational knowledge, nothing too complicated, and that still is good for today. And that's what I mean by the rabbit hole. You can go down these rabbit holes of way complicated that screws up more people, in my opinion, than it does help. But to have that knowledge and be able to impart it in small doses, even back in the 80s, yeah, it's what I think makes you good to great. Oh, absolutely. So you're working in the junior college ranks. 1988 comes around and you get an opportunity to move over to Division One with San Jose State. How did that opportunity come about? <laughs> wow, that's a great question because that was really unique. I, I got a call from Sam Perraro at that time who said, I'd, I'd like to interview for my pitching job. Just just came over. Sam Perraro was, had started a junior college nearby, a rival school with the, the JC that I was at. Uh, and somehow became impressed by my work ethic and those type of things. And um, so he, when he took the job after four years at, at West Valley, he took the job at San Jose State and replaced Gene Mingus. He he wanted to try to you know find his next guy in line, and that was his pitching coach. And so I interview. I, I first of all I reluctantly interviewed. I said I wasn't ready. Uh, you know I'm not that. He said I'll be I'll be the one to judge that. So we meet, and of course, uh, I get offered the position to be, and that's why, I, you know, that's how that started. It was crazy. I, and I, I, again, reluctant, like, man, I don't know if I can handle this level. You know, you just don't know at the time. And, yeah. uh, but it, that really worked out well, too. But Sam, well, great marriage there. Excellent coach. I've been really fortunate that way, too. How old were you at the time when you got that first job at San Jose State in 1988? Yeah, I was 20, I want to say 24, 25. So you really weren't much older than a lot of the pitchers you were working with. How was that dynamic? Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's um, you know, first of all, it's being up front, people skills, right? Like, uh, let's get everybody together. Here's how this is going to work. I realize that we're very close in age, but uh, that's too bad. You're, you know, this is the way we're going to go. And, you know, so having a little bit of sternness, knowing that don't cross this line um, in any fashion. Like if I if I get upset, you're going to know it. Uh, if I want something to be done and done well, you're going to know it. Um, but I'm also got an open door and that door will never be closed. So um, that relatableness, I think, again, really instrumental. The people stuff, like let's move this process along and being up front, man. You know, here's where you stand. It ain't good. This is right. You know, whatever. And then figuring it out together. Anytime you take a job, especially the first time you do something, it's a learning curve for you as well. What were the main lessons you took from that first stint in Division One baseball that really stuck with you? Um, I'll tell you, there was an, an incident I had with Anthony Chavez that changed how I, uh, I do things. Anthony Chavez ended up playing the big leagues with the angels. Anthony Chavez, Chavez was a closer for us. We're playing Fresno, uh, critical series. And it's, you know, Fresno big rival, uh, at the time. And they were 
really good. Um, and we were about ready to win this game, and we have our right guy in the game and ends up coughing it up the, the win and ultimately a loss. And um, and out of my own frustration, you know, like did the, the point the finger thing, like why, the, you know, whatever. And he looked at me and he goes, I didn't expect that from you. Like, and I go, dude, that seared my heart. That works because I had no business doing that or being that way. And, and it changed how my outlook and it, that, that really helped vault my, my ability to relate to players. That was a big one. Um, so I changed how I was doing. I mean, these people are, this kid's human. This kid's hurting. I mean, this kid loves to win and you just rub salt in that. I go never again. Will I ever do that? Yeah. So I think those lessons, I think, Knowing, you know, after a while you figure out, hey, you know what? The guy across the field, that Wally Kincaid, who I, like, think is a god, um, and I'm we're beating him, and I kind of take it as a, a challenge, those type of things. Hey, you know what? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at doing this thing. And by the way, Wally Kincaid is, like, the man, and I'm, you know, we're going back and forth here uh, in this series with Long Beach at the time, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this – I can do this. Like I can, you know, you, because you always question yourself. I think, and I can do this and I'm pretty good at it by the way. And, and so I think the confidence piece where you go, you know, I've invested a lot in this thing. I, I, I work at it. And so why shouldn't I be as good as like a Wally Kincaid? And so I think that, that kind of changed things for me. Absolutely. So you're at San Jose State through 1991 during your tenure there, uh, had some of the best pitching staffs in the Big West Conference uh, program, uh, posted 40 plus win seasons, back to back years. Only time in school history they've done that. You bounce back to the junior college ranks for a little bit. Uh, but then 1996, you found yourself back in D1 with Cal Poly. Uh, take us through that kind of maneuvering and, and how that kind of happened going back to JUCO and then up to Cal Poly. Yeah, well, we had Title Title Nine really kicked in um, back in what ninety one, I think it was, where uh, Division One schools were cracking down on 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 you know making making sure there's equity within you know women's you know you had a sister sport uh, and I think most colleges still do, but we had a sister sport softball that needed to add another assistant coach with the Title Nine you know stuff to get and I got it, um, so that's what. Uh, brought me over back to the junior college ranks with De Anza College uh, and Rich Price, who uh, just retired from University of Kansas. So Richie calls me knowing this is going to happen. And uh, ultimately, uh, I ended up in a De Anza junior college uniform uh, from my first four year stint at San Jose State. Mm -hmm. And then Cal Poly comes calling a few years later back to D1. Uh, what was that process like? How did that kind of transpire? Uh, Richie Price. So I took over the reins at, at De Anza, uh, and then Richie uh, asked me to come on board with Cal Poly. And so that was pretty awesome. I I mean, I love, again, talk about, this is how fortunate I've been, Kyle, uh, because I've had, you know, so now I've got Sam Perraro, the ultimate strategist, and, you know, the way he handled teams, organization, those type of things. So I've got this great coach who's taught me these these fantastic skills, and now I have the absolute best human interaction coach you could be around. And that's Richie Price. And I'm yeah. going like, I, 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 I can't be bad. 
when I've got these two guys mentoring me. What what about Rich Price made him such a great, you know, hu human coach in your words? Yeah, the enthusiasm. Uh, you know, when you show up to a ballpark and you got somebody who who runs harder, faster, moves, you know, a mile a minute and just it's so enthusiastic on the field, it just rubs off. It's like any business. Like you you could, you know, whatever, you know, industry you're in, you have people who have bubbly, vivacious, like they, they plan, they know how, how to speak, and but they do it in a, you know, let's charge the hill, and you can do that every day. I mean, you are going to move some people, and that's, you know, that's what Richie, Richie is so good at that. So you've worked your way up, junior college ranks, Division One ranks, but still mid-major, San Jose State and Cal Poly. And then in 2000, the big call comes. You move over to Stanford, working under Mark Marquis, a perennial College World Series contender, working with guys who were going to be drafted in the first round. How did your transition to Stanford take place? And what was that transition like going from, again, mid-majors to all of a sudden one of the best programs in the country? Wow. I mean, we're at we're at the area code games in the Raptors. And I and, you know, there's a phone outside the pay phone outside, you know, didn't have cell phones then pay phone outside the, the stadium. And I get told, you know, Dean Stotts tells me you're going to there's going to be a phone call coming to that line downstairs in whatever, 10 minutes, whatever. Coach Marcus is going to be on the other end of that line. And he wants to ask you some questions and. So ultimately, uh, I'm going, wow. I, I mean, this is Stanford. We are, it's going to be the number one ranked school coming out of, you know, it's and the talent of that club. I knew all this, you know, and uh, I had, by the way, the reason why that relationship kind of worked out was uh, we had spent back in the day, you could practice or you could play games against outside competition in the fall. And we did that a lot with Stanford because of proximity, right? right. So, um, I got to know Coach Marquis a little bit, Dean Stotts more so. Um, and then uh, Mark O'Brien, who I coached, was on that staff, uh, who I coached at San Jose State, was on that staff. And so all of that kind of mealed together uh, when the Colonel, you know, uh, Coach Tom Dutton, when the Colonel retired, I think there was a short list and my name came up because of those factors. So anyway, I go down outside the stadium, I answer the phone. I had Coach Marcus on the other end, you know, royalty of, of, of baseball, the John Wooden of baseball. And I'm, i am be honest, I'm nervous as all get out because I'm going, no way this is happening right now. Out of nowhere, by the way. This is like, wow. So we uh, agreed to, to meet following Tuesday in a meeting. And by the way, not one baseball question asked that Tuesday. He wanted to know every bit and part of who I am and what I do and how I do it and what have you, but nothing about baseball. Nothing. That interview had nothing to do with baseball. Um, and that's how special that kind of, you know, just sums it up with Mark Marquess. And um, so anyway, that's how that came about. And, and so ultimately I get a, I get a call the next day. Coach Marquess says, I'd like to offer you the job and we, we will provide resources for you and your family to move from San Luis Obispo up to uh, the Palo Alto area. But we'd like it done in two weeks. Uh, so that we can get our, our things moving. And, and sure enough, obviously we skedaddled, uh, quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the interview didn't involve any baseball questions. What were the kind of questions that he asked you? Personal, like, who are you? What's your background? Uh, getting the backstory, 
that, that, that's what he did. He got my backstory, making sure that I think, you know, back then, you know, with, with Dean Stotts and, and, you know, Mark and Dave Nakama, you know, that was a family there, you know, Kathy Wolf. I don't know if you remember Kathy, but uh, she was a longtime secretary there, there at the time, but that was a family. And you, you, you know, coach Marcos was not about to break, you know, but bring in anything unless he knew exactly who he was bringing in here. And um, so he just did a deep dive. We talked in a, you know, I had a binder with all my stuff in it. You need to see that? No, you wouldn't be here if I needed to see that. Were you uh, confused afterward? Like, man, he didn't ask me a single baseball question. No, I thought it was smart. I go, man, I just learned my first lesson very quickly. This guy is, this man is, in, this guy is sharp. <laughs> and I go, what a lesson. I, I, I go, I would never have thought to do that, to be honest. And, you know, to be like that, but. I go, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought, man, I just got lessened right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So you get the job, you move up to Palo Alto. First time you walk into the facility, step out on Sunken Diamond. I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think you know. I mean, it's wild. It's wild because you're, you're yeah. still pretty young in this right. thing. And, you know, it's a sanctuary there. Like you, it's like when I first the first ball game I ever went to in Wrigley Field. I used to youth. I, I lived in Chicago. My my uh, my brother in law Don Grabowski. Don brings my myself and uh, my brothers. A big family. I come from a family of twelve. All my brothers. We all jump into his Camaro, and we're here. He gets run Wrigley Field. And I'm I'm like in awe. Like wow, cathedral. And then we walk up the steps, and I look down on this field, and I go, oh my gosh. This is, that is breathtaking. That's what it was like, you know, because, you know, especially with Coach Marquis, there's not going to be a blade of grass out of, out of place. Uh, it was always pristine. And then you had an office, like a real office, uh, you know, like, uh, and there was the organization and the way he ran things was just, it was like a, a CEO of a business. It was just so well run. And, you had whatever you needed. If you needed, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever you needed, it was going to happen if it made sense. And so resources were, you know, at your disposal, whatever you wanted. Certainly a, a big, big step up and, and certainly an amazing thing to have. You mentioned this awe, this amazement and everything around you. But you also have a job to do. You've got a pitching staff full of guys who have achieved first round picks. They're trying to win a college world series. What was the difference and what were maybe some of the challenges going from, you know, guys who are mid-majors who, you know, maybe you're coming in with, you know, not, not that pedigree versus now you're staff guys who have been there. They've been successful. They're on track to be a first round pick. And then maybe you have to prove to them that, you know, you know what you're talking about. Wow. Yeah. That was, that was the biggest hurdle. That was it. Uh, Jason Young, Justin Wayne, uh, two, you know, they're going to be first rounders, right. Yeah. Uh, and those guys are going to lead your staff. One and two every weekend, uh, and they're special. Like, uh, I, I, if it weren't for Jason Young at that time, I might not have survived that year because – and I'll be honest, the Colonel. You know, Coach Dutton, uh, Tom Dutton, if that – Coach Dutton kept his distance. You know, I mean, this was his baby for a long time, right? Yeah. Very, very successful. Kept his distance. Say, I'm available if you need something. 
And I, of course, I use that resource as often as I could. Um, but Jason Young was critical uh, because of the athlete, the pitch, you know, all, all the aspects of what he could do on a baseball field and how he was as a human. Um, that guy, I, he took me under my wing, under his wing. Like it wasn't me, you know, it, it was awesome. Uh, so I, I, I was nervous a lot because you've, now you've got agents who kind of get involved in, in conversations and I had never experienced that interviews I had to do interviews because you're in the limelight. It's, it's uh, national news on, uh, you know, your national stage with this, this organization, uh, this college, you know, it's Stanford. So that took a little bit of time for me to kind of figure out, you know, like, you know, where, do, where's my place in this thing? How do, how do I tame my nerves? Uh, and then ultimately, you know, get, get, get through this thing with people like, you know, again, really smart people, smart, smart people in your bullpen and good humans as well. So that, that was great. It was great. If they figured it out for me, to be honest. You mentioned having Tom Dutton as a resource. What were his biggest messages that he imparted to you? Again, you know, it's ironic. It's the people stuff. Not, hey, you know, you might want to grab a little more baseball in that curveball with, with Jason or whatever. It's, you know, just finding out how the bones work, right? Who, you know, this is how this guy is. It's how that guy is. Be aware of this. Be aware of that. Um, he'll do this. So, you know, anticipate this and get in front of it. You know, whatever. It, people stuff. Like, how, how is this guy going to react for you? How is he going to compete for you? How's this guy going to be on a daily basis? Um, how you might be able to get ahead of or in front of stuff. And um, huge, hugely important. And of course, all errors. And then, you know, we talk mechanic stuff and we talk strategy. And he was a great strategist, great pitching strategist. So that was really, really helpful. Absolutely. You mentioned some of the talent you had, Justin Wayne, Jason Young. Uh, one of your most prominent pitchers that you had was Jeremy Guthrie and one yeah. of the more successful guys in terms of the big league career he had. What are your memories of working with Jeremy and, and some of the things that you might have learned, picked up from him during that process? The best, like, you know, talent, great person, work ethic. I mean, that's why you're a big leaguer. You know, a lot of those guys have, are missing, you know, some ingredients, you know, uh, Again, the human element, you know, the work ethic piece, problem solving, problem solving. I mean, there's a problem solver there. Jason Young, huge problem solver. I, I, you know, these are guys that like stuff's not working in the bullpen 10 minutes before you're going to, you know, take, take the, you know, foot the rubber on Friday night. Um, and these guys are manipulating grips right there, you know, without even thinking about it. No panic, zero panic, never sped up. Stuff. Jerry, Jeremy Guthrie, to this day, we're good friends. Um, no, that, that guy. And talk about a guy who invests back. Jeremy Guthrie. Oh. Jason Young. Yeah. During your tenure at Stanford, obviously, perennial contenders uh, consistently have one of the best pitching staffs in the nation, just results-wise, draft-wise, however you want to measure it. You're there through 2007. After that, you get your first opportunity to be a head coach. You jump back to... Uh, uh, the junior college ranks for that opportunity. What process like? So I feel like leaving Stanford, even as an assistant, has to be a tough call, you know, no matter what. And, and, and but you do get a shot to become a, a manager for your first time. Yeah. So it was my second time. 
but uh, but oh, that's, I yeah, I was over at Deanne's and I became uh, a skipper over there. But yeah, it, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't that hard to be honest. It, it's the more mundane stuff that that you have to kind of deal with. But you know, I'm one of those guys. I'll I'll work. You know, sleep five hours if I have to. Uh, you know, I'll accommodate. You know, I have no problem there. It was a teaching piece. Uh, being a, a uh, professor at, at the junior college, uh, one that had a very good reputation in kinesiology, that was difficult because of the, you know, out of class time, uh, prepping, um, you know, trying to make it interesting to uh, JC kids and uh, imparting, you know, what, you know, that type of education uh, that in that area, that specific piece is critical to these kids moving on. So, I took that very seriously and uh, as well as I did as a head coach. And so, you know, I, I think the my ability to kind of manage a club, it, I don't think that was going to change. And that was the goal of going back to San Jose State that next year was ultimately was to take over the program. And by the way, I left Stanford because I uh, I had one more year of of need. Uh, I was having we were having our fifth child and I had one more year of of uh my purse retirement stuff to get my benefits for for medical dental uh what have you so i needed one more year and this was my opportunity and with our fifth coming that that summer um I'll, maybe i got sped up a little bit a little panicky and i, I that's why I, I took that position with the idea of making that my last position and, and would ride off into the sunset but with the opportunity of coming back, Sam Perraro uh, invited me back to San Jose State as an associate head coach, and ultimately, the idea in mind to take over, um, over was overwhelming, overwhelmingly, um, you know, interesting to me, and chose to go back. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you went back. Um, ultimately, you, you didn't get a chance to take over the program, and in 2015, you moved into the scouting ranks. You were hired by the Dodgers. What led into the decision to, to make the change? How did that come about? Paul Kogan. So Paul Kogan was working with Cleveland for the longest time. Um, he and Coach Marquis, Coach Stotts, uh, very close friends. And um, so when I, I come back to, to San Jose and Paul Kogan leaves the Cleveland organization to take a position with the Dodgers, as a supervisor and needed a guy, an area guy at the time. And so he just decided to call me uh, out of the blue in the summer, doing a Stanford camp, by the way, um, and says, hey, well, I'm going to put this in front of you, see if this is interesting to you. We had dinner. Uh, I took a few days to decide. Uh, met with Billy Gasparino and uh, a few other scouts to kind of go through these sidebar interviews and ultimately was offered the position. So. Paul Kogan was, was the tie there and uh, was my supervisor up until last year. And now it works in a, as a special, you know, assistant to, uh, to the scouting director, but um, he, he's instrumental in a lot of these signings, huge, hugely instrumental in all these signings, DJ Peters, whatever, you know, the collaborative effort. Um, so I'm grateful to him how difficult of a decision was it to leave coaching, which you had done for, for 30 plus years to move into scouting? Well, Gabe Kapler was our farm director at the time. And, and it wasn't that difficult because I, I, I coach, I still coach. So I go out post draft and I'll spend the rest of a, a summer with an affiliate. Um, 
and then I'll go to in, instructional league. I'll, I'll coach in, in instructional league, spend a little time in, in spring training, but ultimately I get to kind of keep myself, you know, I don't know, active and ha having purpose <laughs> in the coaching ranks. Uh, so old school perspective guy, well, yeah, let's throw him in there and, and see if, you know, see if it marries with uh, some of the new age uh, metrics and analytics pieces. Yeah, no, it's, it's best of both worlds. You get to scout, but you also get to coach still. And that's, that's obviously a very, very enticing opportunity. All right, Tom, we've talked about your very, very rich history, you know, coaching college baseball and, and how you made the transition to the Dodgers organization as a scout and coach as well. As you started scouting players, which is, again, it, it's a different discipline. A lot of the same things carry over, but it is a different discipline. What were some of the main things from your coaching experience that you found applied? And maybe were some things that you had to not forget, but but realize maybe weren't as applicable as you thought they were? Uh, I, th I don't think there's anything that I uh, wouldn't attribute from my coaching uh, aspect, you know, taking that into it, you know, I might look through it uh, a different lens than most scouts mm -hmm. that, that don't have that, that coaching background. Um, but remember when we were talking about coach Marcus getting the backstory, right? No baseball right. questions. This is find out who you are, right? Which is absolutely imperative. And, you know, that's why when you hear the model, like, you know, he's not a model, you know, he's a model guy, not a model guy. You know, for me, that's impersonal. I, I just hate that. I, I do. I hate that word. I think that's a joke. Anyway, <laughs> I get upset with, with the model stuff because if you don't have boots on the ground and you're not interviewing people and finding out who they are, what their background is, and finding what their spine is truly made of, you're making a mistake. You're, you're guessing at your drafts. So anyway, I think, you know, again, Coach Marcos was not going to guess on Tom Kunis. We're, we're bringing this guy into my family right? And we want this guy to be productive. Does he fit or does he not fit? I know he knows baseball. I know he knows pitching, but do I know the human, right? Do I know what the backstory is, how you got here? What, you know, what, what can I anticipate from your background, from your history, how you're going to react to certain situations moving forward? And so you, there is a guest piece. There is a guest piece. Like I, I think this guy is going to be incredible i know he's got work ethic i can see that but i do think this guy's going to be a problem solver he's going to work through some you know adversity work through some things you know have a filter be able to pull in information and be able to spit out i get it or that's not going to work and you know just use it like james outman i mean out of all those guys i pretty much am not going to go hard on somebody unless i know that those pieces, I got to know that, yeah. and that doesn't no, fit. Him. That's not a model. Yeah. No, one hundred percent. Baseball is a very, very, very frustrating game at times, and it's the ability to work through it and fight through it and make adjustments that often separates the good from the greats more than talent itself. Sometimes, with that, I, I, this podcast we're going to focus on James Outman, but given what you talked about earlier, your two-way background as a player. That is going to lead me to Tony Gonsolin. Tony was a two-way player at St. Mary's, uh, pitched, hit, did a little bit of everything as an outfielder. When you guys drafted him, you put him on the mound. And once he started pitching solely, his velocity kept jumping again and again and again. Take me through that scouting process and maybe how your background as a two-way player informed your evaluations of Tony and, and maybe the thought that, hey, if we just put this guy on the mound, he might really take off. Yeah. So 
again, thank God for Paul Kogan, my supervisor at the time, who tried to sign him, by the way, the summer prior. Um, but Tony wanted to go, you know, no, I, I think probably a little chip on the shoulder, but Tony goes back. I knew, I knew Tony because I was in the other dugout facing that club, right? I, I go, I know that guy. I mean, this guy can not only hit, he's got some power, but he, he comes in to close a game and it's like game over. So I knew to, to spend some time with it. Uh, luck, uh, divine intervention and whatever. I've seen the, every time I went to a game, I'd run into it. Like he'd come into the game from right field, like throw a few warmups uh, with uh, the catcher on, on the, the right field line and then go and blow, you know, and, and you could see like if you, enough times you're seeing a kid, you know, throw up to 94, Paul had seen him up to 95. You know, this guy's got stuff, but more importantly is this guy's got guts. Like this guy likes to be out there. He likes to compete. Um, the, the hardest thing for me was making the phone call, you know, to say we got, you know, the it was senior sign thing, but we, we knew what we had. We knew we had what, what kind of talent we had, but it was making that phone call for the amount of money that we ended up signing for. That was really, really difficult. But, you know, being the stud human being that Tony Gonson is, the competitor, the guy that wants to, hey, give me an opportunity. I'll go win my spot. I'll go climb that ladder. And I'll make my money later. And that's what he did. He did yeah. exactly what, what, what he said he was going to do. Yeah. He was a senior sign. He only signed for $2,500. I mean, you, you mentioned that, that difficulty making that call. What, when you have to make that call to players, I mean, what, what is that? Yeah. Well, first of all, Billy Casparino, Zach Fitzpatrick, the uh, burn. So I, I do, I'll, I'll bring up a story later about Josh Burns. All right. To, to talk about the specialness, we're talking about people who are sharp. I mean, this baseball people sharp, like not just sharp intellectually, and they all have that, but they're just human sharp. Again, I, I, I'm telling you, but that we have Billy Gasparino who trusts, just absolutely trusts and, you know, asks the right questions of us. Like, okay, do you think he'll actually do, you know, whatever, but in trusting us, and again, doing a collaborative effort, understanding what the talent is, uh, it was a no-brainer. Like, if we can get Tony Gonsolin here, we are stealing the, the game. We are stealing from this game, and we, we just did. We just got fortunate. Again, divine intervention, whatever you want to call it. But without Paul, myself, you know, working on, on Tony and then the people up at the top saying, wow, if we can pull this off, and it happened. Absolutely. You see him go off last. He'd come up. He'd, he'd showed some really good flashes, 2019, 2020, 2021. I remember seeing him in the Cal League, and uh, I believe it was 2018, if I have my years right. And yeah. again, this guy's pretty good. This guy, there. I remember writing him up and ranking him in their top 100, saying that this guy's pretty darn good. Uh, <laughs> but last year, when he really takes off, he starts there undefeated, ends up 16-1. and one. What was that like for you? Because like you said, he was a guy that you really knew. You saw him pitch in college from the opposing dugout. You eventually were his signing scout. You were the one who made the call for $2,500. And now here he is, an all-star, and really one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. What was that like for you seeing that take place? No, it's so gratifying. I mean, not for me, but for him. Yeah. Like, that kid deserves every penny he gets, every penny. For all he's done for our organization and the way he did it, the work he put in, I would, I just am elated for that. Like 
you know, like you, Christmas, like it's opening a new package. Like when you see, see that, like you, you get, you're just so excited for the kid to make his way and do it with class. I mean that, and nothing better, nothing more enjoyable than to watch that happen to good human beings. Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah. So that leads us into James Outman. Again, you were hired by the Dodgers uh, 2015. James Outman arrives on campus at Sacramento State as a freshman the fall of 2015. His first year was the spring of 2016. He was known more as a football player in a lot of ways in high school, as a standout middle linebacker, uh, decided to go the baseball route, ends up at Sac State, a very, very good mid-major. When did you kind of first become aware of James Outman, and, and when did he maybe start to catch your eye a little bit? Yeah, so it was a little rough to get him. He got injured uh, that that fall of uh, you know prior to his junior year. Uh, I mean, I had a follow that had him as a you know average runner. I think average or maybe a solid runner. Like you know, I didn't have the double plus that he is. Like I'm going, what was I looking at? But but I had the intangible pieces right. I had like okay, this guy's because you know he showed some power here, but whatever. And then again, Paul, Paul and I we tanned him so much that we we discuss different points and what are the real tools of this young man and and what have you and so we knew on our follows we were going to like track this kid and man did he show up in, in a roar in you know swing and miss what have you but i mean the talent that that stands out and i'm this is where i'll bring in josh Burns. i'm just going to tell you we the sac state is playing over at cal no one's there uh the scott wise and Josh, I, I see this guy sitting on the, a bench overlooking the field. And I go, that looks like Josh Burns. I had no idea he was here. And so, of course, being, you know, the complete professional that Josh Burns is, the baseball person, knows he, he, he sees, no, he reads everything, right? Reads reports, you know, even on guys that, that he's not having a great year. He's punching 23% of the time. I mean, it's, this isn't, but he reads the reports. And I think Paul Kogan's follow, you know, uh, on that was instrumental in Josh being there that day. So jo so James punches three times looking. And I'm, I'm standing now next to, to Josh Burns, you know, got our vice president here. He's just punched three times looking during the headlight look. And I'm going, this is going to be over. But Josh goes, I see it. I see it. I'm going, you're amazing. You are an amazing human. And so I, I'm, I'm, and so this thing's going to move forward. Like, we don't know when we're going to pick him yet. I mean, this is still, you know, latter part of the season. But, but to have that insight, uh, that's unique, man. I couldn't do what, what a guy like Josh Burns, Paul Kogan, Billy Gasparino, Zach Fitzpatrick. I mean, those dudes are like another world, another level. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned that about Outman and, and the strikeouts because I wanted to bring that up with you. So, you know, 2016 freshman, plays a little bit, you know, is what it is. Sophomore year comes out in 2017 and, and shows big power, but, you know, the average is low. There's more strikeouts than you'd like to see. And, and he comes in that junior year. And, you know, we talk so much about, as you mentioned, you know, model and numbers and, and, he led the Western athletic conference in home runs that year, showed the power, showed the tools, obviously had the physicality, the athleticism, um, but he did hit 253 and, and his strikeout rate was higher than you would normally like to see. 
for, for a college player, particularly a mid-major college player. How did you kind of work through that? Just, you know, hey, he is swinging, missing a bunch against this caliber of pitching. What is that going to mean when he gets into pro ball? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, first of all, you know, when you see the guy, you know, crashing fences, running, you know, you know, crazy numbers down the line, you know, three, nine here, down, you know, and running hard every time, not pulling up. Like you see 99% of guys running hard every time, like yeah. turn, making hard turns and taking two at a moment of a glimpse of a bobble, you know, those type of things that wasn't hard. Right. Yeah. What was easy really for, to say, i this is my gut feel, man. I mean, the tools are going to play. He runs, he throws, he crashes fences. He probably, why couldn't he play center field? The cool thing about him is when we first interviewed, the first interview we had, I was, you know, I, I, I was talking to the LA times over on, on an interview and the, it was uncomfortably locked in like, you know, eyeball to eyeball. And his, if you look him in the eyes, you'll know what I'm talking about. He like pulls you in like, wow. I go, this guy is listening to every word. He is so locked in. I'm a little uncomfortable, but I'm I'm going. I'm like, I'm going off on a on a roll on my, you know, here's what you can expect in the future and stuff like that. And I, I did another interview with three other Sac State guys that, that were in, you know, I was kind of doing a sermon on the mound, felt like, but James, the only guy, I swear, had never left my my head. His eyes never left my eyes. It was amazing. I mean, that you knew that this guy cares. He's going to work his tail off. He listens. And then with the dialogue, because he did pay attention, you could actually, he could actually explain things to me, like, or ask questions, like, how would we do this? How would we do that? I knew immediately we we're going to be able to do something with this guy to change his swing. You just know he's going to do it. And then the work ethic piece, he's got body awareness, athlete, his high school football coach that, that's telling me this guy, you know, you, you're out of your mind if you do not take this guy. Um, I mean, it was so like, I was so excited. That was one of the most exciting drafts for me, maybe the most exciting because of who he was, you know? So. Yeah, awesome. no, absolutely. I mean, your, your, your passion, you know, really shines through. You mentioned the Cal game where Josh Burns is there. He strikes out three times. Was there a game or a moment where you saw him you know, really go off and, and it really just like captivated you? Is there anything that sticks out in your mind, a, a moment from when you were scouting him? I wouldn't say, I, I would say it's a, it was a collective um, series of moments, you know, see a little bit of this, see a little bit of that, you know, see the, you know, three, nine down the line, three, nine, whatever, see the crash defense, like literally don't care about my body. I'm catching this ball for this guy. Um yeah. See the other way, boom, a backspin, boom. He can do it. I mean, I, I saw it, right? You know, a little too much of that, but when he connects with it right, it's going over that fence. He's, this is pretty good. And he's willing, willing to change, willing and ready, you know, malleable. Yep, absolutely. So draft day comes around 2018. You clearly believe in him. Seventh round. Dodgers end up taking him. What was that process like and that back and forth like that ultimately led to James being selected in the seventh round that year? Yeah, we were, um, you know, we do a very thorough job of, of prioritizing and, you know, kind of, you know, creating our list and our board. And uh, it was pretty easy. 
it, to sell the human, which always going to captivate the room, right? The human piece. And I know I brought this up a million times, but it's true. Like when you can talk about a, a person the way I could talk about him because he made it easy for me to do it. I think he just kind of stayed. He was at the top of the list. I mean, I was a little surprised. I thought we were going to take him to six, um, you know, but we were fortunate. He was still there in the seventh and I was, man, no one more excited to call him, you know? Yeah. What was that phone call like? Awesome. He said, I won't let you down. Absolutely. And, and he certainly hasn't done that. You know, you, it's interesting. You go back and look, he comes out in 2018, really, you know, hits for a lot of power in Ogden. Again, the strikeouts are a little rough, but it was it was a solid debut. The next year at Great Lakes, his first full season, 2019, he bats 226. Obviously, that's not really what you're looking for. Again, power, speed, you saw the 19 homers, you saw the 20 stolen bases. But at that point, were there concerns either, you know, from yourself or within the organization, just, Hey, we know he's got big tools, but, but the contact piece just isn't kind of progressing the way we hoped it would. Yeah. So, um, you know, Will Rhymes, obviously our, 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 you know, field director, you know, Will is so good at kind of overseeing a process, right. Developing. This is, this is how we're going to track this timeline. James is well aware of this. I mean, we, this started when we first signed him. We're yeah. yeah sorry, but we're that good. Like Will, you know, Will Rhymes, you know, working with our hitting people, you know, Brett Pill, uh, and at the time it was Popkins, you know, we're, and, and, uh, and anyway, uh, really good at creating a timeline. This is how we're going to kind of do things and manipulate, get some at bats in, you know, take them back, you know, to the, to the, to the tool shed and let's work on this, uh, what have you. But so, good at going piece by piece, feel it, figure out, boom, 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 make it usable. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're working, you're working on the job, but that's okay. And James knew it. We talked about that. Um, but to have the design, you know, Lou Ianati, you know, Tyler Duncan, I mean, these people who were help, helping to engineer this pathway and ultimately the teachers, the Brett Pills and the Popkins who could teach, uh, and then the oversight to make sure not too much steady doses, but not, you know, it was so excellent. I'm so excellent that that's, that's where you, why you have a product like this, you know, honestly. Yeah. yeah no, implementing that swing change right off the bat. We've seen the Dodgers do it with a few guys. Will Smith. I remember he hit two thirty in the Cal league. I watched him. You could tell he wasn't comfortable with the swing, but he was going through the process. Clearly James, what was in the same spot there in 2018, the pandemic hits in 2020. Obviously, there's no minor league season, but he came back out in 2021. And again, normally you don't see a guy jump 40 points from low A to high and double A. You normally see them go the other direction. He kept getting better. He went up to Great Lakes, hit 250 that year, 24 point jump, got up to Tulsa and hit 289. You could see it start to click the higher and higher he was going. Had a good year that year, really impressed in the Arizona Fall. I remember seeing him there and being impressed by the progression he made. Coming out of 2021, was there a different feeling you had? Like, okay, this is this is really starting to click. He's coming around. This is working. Yeah, because I was in Tulsa. I was oh, you were there when it happened. Okay. So I was with him. You know, we shared, you know, shared clubhouse together. So I got to, you know, be right there in front and center. So, yeah, you could see it working. You could see the – where you know it's working is when you go to the cage, you know, prior to a game, you go, 
all right, I felt that. I felt, you know, I can do this or my hip, you know, whatever. He could tell you from a feedback off a swing. He now, now he knew how his body works. He The timing, sequencing, still maybe a little bit rough, but it was close. Like it's that that feeling that you get, oh, this is close. This is this is going to start going ballistic. And sure enough, it was almost like somebody, you know, flip, switch goes on, boom. I mean, he starts hitting these homers, and I'm like, dude, I mean, these are going out to from that field to that field, and it's with authority. And I go, he's figuring it out. And the swing and miss became less. Uh, he was just in a better position to see the ball, but in a much better position to – go to the ball like the efficiency the compactness just fantastic again process started knowingly three years ago absolutely 2022 comes around and he takes off has one of the best seasons in the minors again hits for the highest average he's ever hit he did it triple a at the top level of the minors 31 homers 106 rbis the power was there the contact was there the defense and athleticism mm -hmm. were there Got his first big league call up that year on July 31st, and in his first big league at bat, hits a home run off Herman Marquez, one of the better pitchers in the major leagues. At first, I want to ask, when he got his first major league at bat, where were you? Were you able to watch it? Yeah, I was actually scouting. Uh, my I was well. My son was playing in a uh, NorCal event uh, at St. Mary's College, and I, uh, yeah, I happened to be with the Oregon State head coach uh sitting next to him and i'm waiting and i'm i'm and i go here he comes he's coming to the plate and uh i i i couldn't like you know how you have a feeling like it's gonna happen but you know i've had that feeling before but like this is gonna happen like i feel like this is gonna happen and when he hit it i was like in shock and like not shocked at the same time i just go yeah i, I jumped i did jump so special that those are the moments right i mean this is why you do what you do you grind it don't get paid great but you survive you know it's good but you know coaching what whatever i've done this all my life but those moments are the ones that make it all worth it you know you mentioned you jumped up and you're at an event surrounded by people uh do they look at you like what are you doing yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but they they were high-fiving you know, they knew what was going on and, and hey, James Elman, you know, whatever. Yeah, because yeah. still local, Northern California. It's like he's, right. you know, he's got a reputation in NorCal. So, so yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a huge, huge moment for him and obviously a really cool moment for you, a guy you believed in, you believed could make the swing changes to be successful and seeing it all come to fruition. I mean, I mean, you know this. There's so many times in the game where, where you think something might happen and it just never quite clicks for whatever reason. What's it like when you when you see it 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 did work? You know, something you believed could happen really did come to fruition. Yeah, great, really satisfying. And you know, by the way, in 2020, with the you know when we didn't have a season, you know, Paul Kogan and I kind of tandem on this. But I you know swing the fungal, throw the BP, and but we had I don't know if you know this, but we had a a full season um, of Dodger people primarily had some other org players at times, but uh, we did live bullpens twice a week, the whole summer smoke in the air because we had, you know, California was on fire. Uh, and then we, you know, but those guys showed up every two days, you know, every, every, typically every Tuesday and Friday, they showed up every time. Some of them traveling two, three hours. 
Wow. To get there one way. Yeah. But we got to season it. That was awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was important. And, and, you know, how important was it? You mentioned for the guys, but also for you, just because, I mean, sitting at home, not doing anything for a year, that, that wouldn't have been fun either. No, no. But I think that was instrumental in these guys. Ultimately, Justin Brule out of that group, Brett DeGus and um, to be James Outman. But, you know, Alec Gamboa, Alec and uh, Max Gamboa, all those guys benefited greatly from that. Like they, they jumped Marcus Chu, you know, Joe Franis, you know, but anyway, it was great. It was great from that standpoint, but so it's great satisfaction to see this stuff come happen when, it, and by the way, when it doesn't happen, like you think it should happen, you know, you try to figure out, well, why, where did I go wrong? You know, what, what was my thinking on that? Why would I think that on a pl- certain player? And it didn't pan out. He wasn't quite what I thought he was. Right. And a lot of times you can look at the human again. And you just didn't find that piece and ask the right question. Yeah, no, again, like anything else in life, uh, you always want to look back and see where you might have missed something and, and correct it moving forward. In terms of James, again, he has that incredible moment. Homer, first big league at bat, uh, is up with the Dodgers for uh, just a little bit, only four games, goes back to AAA, tears it up, has two cycles in a, in a four-game span at AAA, which was pretty remarkable. Uh, but then coming out this year, you know, going into spring training, you know, there was, there was a chance that he would win an opening day job. It wasn't a guarantee, but he went out and won it. Um, just what were your thoughts as you were watching him and, and kind of seeing him take that opportunity throughout the spring? Yeah, you know, I wasn't surprised. Like, I, he was ready. He was ready for it. Um, you know, it, it's in his brain 24-7, you know, three, you know, 65. So, uh, I, I wasn't surprised. Like I, you know, this guy's a big leaguer. It's, you know, and, and I, you know, he might be a perennial all-star big leaguer and all said and done, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, I talked to, you know, Bon Skoyak a little bit about him, you know, like what, what, you know, what do you think? And, and he's, you know, always as, as positive as he is, you know, you know, Hey man, he's got a chance and I'm going, ah, I hope so. I, you know, if he breaks camp here, you know, like he said said to me on the phone when he when I first drafted him, uh, I, you know, I won't let you down. Like, he wasn't going to let you down. Like, I, I'm here. I'm staying. I'm staying. You know, this I'm I'm not going to let anybody down. I might not perform, but I and I but I can't control that all the time. But I'm. It won't be because of work ethic. It won't be because I'm not ready. You know. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And he won the job. Opening day comes at Dodger Stadium. I was there covering the game that night. First career home game comes out and hits a home run on opening day. Also had to be a pretty cool moment. Did you see that one live or uh, how did that come about? No, I saw it on TV. Okay. That was awesome. <laughs> what was your reaction when he did that? Yeah. I mean, you know, you're fist pumping. Yeah. My wife, you know, we're fist pumping, you know. I mean, it, it's exciting. I mean, they're family. You know, they become family after a while. I mean, you're working with these guys, and and so, you know, it's part of your family. And my, I hear my kids hear so much about them. My wife hears so much about them that they think they know them. You know, like intimately. Uh, so yeah, man, that investment when they do something like that, of course, you're pumped. Absolutely. And he's, he's continued to give uh, you and everyone else involved with the Dodgers a, lo- a lot of moments that you can get pumped about and uh, really had a pretty fantastic April was named the National League Rookie of the Month uh, here as we sit back today. 
sitting 282, seven homers, 21 RBIs in 31 games. He's, he's done a great job in the outfield, playing a few different spots. And, you know, I, I remember just as the person who does the prospect handbook for the Dodgers system, it was interesting hearing the progression where it starts out as, you know, oh, you know, he's, he's toolsy, he's, he's got physicality, but, you know, we have to figure out the hit piece. And then it's like, hey, he's starting to hit, you know, maybe, you know, you could see him being a reserve kind of, you know, play all three, add some power off the bench. And then it became, hey, you know, he's actually hitting enough where it might have a chance for him to, to be a starter, you know, probably a platoon guy, but, but you know, def, definitely start some games. And now it's like, yeah, no, this guy's an everyday starter in the big leagues and, and potentially an everyday center fielder. It's been really just kind of fun to, to see, even from my vantage point, the progression of how the opinion has changed the more he's moved up and said, He's not letting anyone down. He gets an opportunity and he keeps taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, not surprised. You know, you've got, you know, front office, you know, Brandon Gomes, you know, you got, you know, Andrew, for sure. Like, again, talk about the guy that saw three punches over at Cal, right? Josh Byrne. Yeah. I mean, for sure, man. That guy's in in their corner. Again, it's a hard not, not to love the human. Like when you speak to him, you're thinking everybody is hoping that he he kills it. But I'm not surprised. Yeah. Not surprised with all those intangibles and and the tools. Not surprised. So it's yeah. fun, man. It's fun, and this the future is going to be fun. I don't know. Nobody can predict that, but I I suspect, I sense, and I hope it's a long, long time for this kid. Absolutely. The way he's playing right now, it uh, certainly looks like he's, he's got a long and fruitful career ahead of him. Tom, this was so much fun. Loved hearing all your stories. Thank you so, so much for joining me. We really, really appreciate it. Kyle, you're the man, by the way. You're really good at what you do. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, pal. Once again, that was Dodgers area scout Tom Kunis. Uh, a lot of really, really fun stories there. And you can feel the passion and the love and the fire and that's what we want to try and bring out into the open on this podcast. A lot of scouts dedicate their entire lives to the game, really without a whole lot of recognition. And they have so much knowledge to share, so many great insights. And we think it's really important to bring those to light and really give these guys their due. Uh, this has been the very first episode of Behind the Plate presented by Baseball America. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll be back each week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, please go ahead and give us a review. Uh, this is all new, so we're happy to take any tips, suggestions, or recommendations from listeners. Uh, we're looking forward to this series, and, and I hope you are too. Once again, this has been Behind the Plate, presented by Baseball America. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.